Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. On this episode, we'll talk with James Johnson, author of From Slave Ship to Harvard, Yarrow Mahmoud, and the History of an African-American Family, published in 2015 by Fordham University Press. In December 2019, James Johnston was interviewed by bio member John Farrell. James Johnston? Yes. Your story begins very poignantly in a library. Tell us about this moment when you walked into the Georgetown Public Library and how it led to this um, spectacular book. I was researching another book, my first book, when I looked up as I was leaving, and there was a portrait on the wall of the Georgetown Library in the Peabody Room of a black man. And you don't associate Georgetown with African Americans. It's rich white people. And that intrigued me. And it said, Yara Mamut, James Alexander Simpson, that was the artist, 1822, uh, you know, it was a strange-looking portrait. I thought it was a modern portrait. So the 1822 surprised me. Went home, and I Googled it, and I found a portrait by Charles Wilson Peale, the great American portrait painter. A friend of mine was the director of the National Museum of American Art, and I asked her about these portraits, and she said, I'm not an expert in African-American art, but any portrait of an African-American prior to the Civil War is rare, and you have two of the same man, so you ought to do something about it. And it took me eight years to do something about it. And why did Peel, why was he drawn to Mamut? Uh, Peel uh, originally thought Yarrow was 143 years old. And that was the original attraction. Peel thought this was the secret to longevity. He was an older man and he was looking a way to extend his life. When he uh, actually encountered Yarrow, he found a lot of other things about him. First of all, he was a charming human being. Secondly, he owned bank stock and a house. I mean, to imagine a black man in 1819 owning bank stock was incredible, and he did. And so all of these things came to play, and he found him a charming man. And if you look at the portrait, you can easily get the portrait online. You can see that this is an amazing figure. Peel always said he painted the inner man, and when you look at this man's face, you are charmed by it. So you decided to poke around. And what was the first thing you found about him? Well, I decided that it was really a story I didn't know about, about African Americans. This man was a slave. He came over on a slave ship, and it's this famous painting, and no one really focused on the fact that he had come on a slave ship. So I focused on that. I, uh, the book is a story of race, about race in America. About half of the book is Yaramamut's biography, because he's the most interesting figure. And I, I want to mention while that I'm there that he has an unusual name, Yaro Mamut. He was a Fulani Muslim. And when what is what's Fulani? Fulani is an ethnic group in Africa. They are very distinctive looking. Uh, when I talk to women from West Africa, they say, oh, the Fulani are the best looking men in West Africa. <laughs> so uh, he is a very handsome man. But... Um, when a Fulani child was born, uh, they would go to a holy man and they'd say, what should we name this child? And they were Muslim. So a 
child, who was the mother's fourth child, uh, one of the male names available was Yarrow. So his name Yarrow tells us that he was his mother's fourth child. And then Mahmoud or Muhammad or Mamadou, uh, there are various variations of that, was a boy born on a Monday. So we know that he was his mother's fourth child and born on a Monday. But he always used Yarrow as his last name. His son's name is Aquila Yarrow. Nonetheless, Charles Wilson Peale recorded in his diary that the man's name was Yarrow Mamut. And so the painting has been called Yarrow Mamut. In the book, I use Yarrow as his last name as a sign of respect. Just as I, people would call me Mr. Johnston, I call him Yarrow. Yeah. Were there any kind of historical monographs that could help you on your search, or did you have to start right in with public records and uh, property deeds and things like that? Charles Wilson Peale was a fantastic man. He was a modern-day Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, not modern-day, but a man of his time. He was science, and so he kept a diary of all his paintings. So he had three or four pages of Yarrow. He was charmed by the man, and so there's a lot of material in there about Yarrow. Uh, there's also uh, legends in Georgetown. He was so famous that as far as late as 80 years after his death, people were still writing, you know, legends that had been handed down, oral histories about him. And finally, uh, there was a man, David Warden, who wrote a book about the early capital of the United States. It was to be published in Europe. And he wrote about African-Americans in the capital because the Europeans wouldn't have much knowledge of African-Americans. And he had three or four paragraphs about Yarrow, including a verbatim quote of how he spoke. So I have in the book, when you read it, you can almost hear this man and you get a sense of what this man was like. But this was virgin territory. It was completely virgin territory. And I'm just going to say that if you go to the Smithsonian African American Museum, one thing that you learn is that there are not a lot of artifacts and there's not a lot of written history uh, about slaves in the United States, there are not a lot of photographs, and there certainly are not a lot of paintings done by somebody as uh, the, as important as Peel. There are only two <clears throat> paintings of someone. One is by Peel, and one is by uh, a British artist of another Fulani Muslim who was came to Maryland and then ended up in England and uh, was painted by him. So there are only two portraits by major artists, people who came on slave ships. And so tell us the story of his life very briefly. Um, here's what the book says based upon what we know about the times. Uh, there were wars going on in Africa at this time. The Fulani, who were Muslim, were moving into the coastal regions of West Africa to indigenous people who were not Muslims. And there were religious wars going on, uh, as often happens all over the world. So when these wars happened, the prisoners of war would be sold to the slave ships. Generally, the Fulani Muslims won these battles and would sell the indigenous people to the slave ships. Occasionally, the Fulani Muslims would lose, and they got sold to the slave ships. Uh, he came with a sister, which makes things sort of odd. It would sound like maybe they were somehow captured in a battle or a raid on their village. Uh, he could read and write in Arabic, so that means he was educated in Africa. Might have been a a merchant or, or his, his uh, father may have been an imam, a, a holy man. And he landed in uh, he landed Annapolis. in Annapolis. He came. I don't, we don't know specifically where he came from in Af in Africa, but it was a direct ship uh, from Africa to the United States, and that slave voyage was 
orchestrated by men from Bladensburg, Maryland. Uh, so it was an American slave traders who commissioned this ship. And he came into Annapolis on June 4th, 1752, because I have the advertisement in the newspaper for the arrival of the ship. This is very much like Alex Haley and, and Roots at this, this, at this part of the story, because I remember that his ancestor came um, to the dock in Annapolis as well. I was going to mention that, except Roots is a fiction. Alex Haley thought he had this story in his family. He had heard this story, similar story in his family, but he couldn't prove it. So he decided to give up and write a novel. So, but this is real. This really yeah. did happen. We have, I have the advertisement yeah. for the slave ship coming yeah. in. And he was sold already, or he somebody had already purchased him? No, he was. The, the uh, way they did slave sales then was they'd have the sale on the ship. Uh, there were probably fewer people living in Annapolis than were slaves on that ship. And so it's like having a bunch of prisoners. You don't want to bring them onto the land, so they would have the sales on the ship. And uh, what family purchased him, and he, what? What did they have him do? He was purchased by Samuel Bell, and that's B-E-A-L-L. It's a Scottish name. Uh, it's also pronounced Beale. Uh, they were a very prominent family in Georgetown. One of the first Bells to come to America founded Georgetown, the big fancy part of Washington, D.C. He was the first to come to America. And he, incidentally, came as a prisoner of war or as a slave oh, wow. of the British. He was a Scotsman who was captured by the British. So... Uh, now, is that the same Bell family that, that gave us U.S. attorneys and U.S. senators? U.S. senators, yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Jay Glenn Bell was yeah. a senator from Maryland. Same family? Yes. Okay. And so Yarrow ended up as the, uh, the body servant for Samuel Bell. That's not a valet. It is someone who follows you, the white guy, around all day. And so Samuel Bell was a very important man. He had 63 farms in Maryland. He was the sheriff of Frederick County, which extended from Washington, D.C., all the way to the mountains of Maryland. And so Yarrow would follow him right around all day with him. Yarrow was really, a, if you look at his speech patterns, it was a charming man to talk to. And um, Yarrow also was a second gun. I mean, if you're a sheriff and you're <laughs> capturing guys, Yarrow was a second gun. And the benefit to the white guy uh, is that at the end of the day, when you were tired, You'd go up to the tavern, and you got to go inside and order a stein of beer and a leg of mutton. And your body servant put the horses away. But that also benefited Yarrow because he got to meet all these famous, rich, and powerful men in Maryland through his owner. So that when he got freed and lived in Georgetown, where all these famous, powerful men lived, they knew him. They had met him, and they knew that he was good and true man. Was he separated from his sister for this period of time? Uh, he, they were separated. They had different owners when they got to Washington. But he apparently stayed in contact with her because there is a historical record that when he died, he had owned a loan outstanding in Washington, D.C. to some man. And his niece, his sister's daughter, came into court and collected on that loan. So uh, we know that they stayed in contact. And I, I say in the book, Rockville, Maryland, is a suburb of Washington, D.C., about 12 miles northwest of Georgetown. I believe that she was a slave out there at a tavern and that there were other Muslims who lived there or worked at that tavern. Uh, so that there was a small little Muslim community, and he could get together with other Fulani from West Africa, probably came on the same slave ship. It's astonishing that, I mean, it's not just the fact that we have this amount of pieces of the puzzle that you're able to put together about a slave, but also that this was someone who was a Muslim. There cannot have been that many 
Muslims in the colonies. That's correct. Uh, some people put high estimates on it. I don't think so. There was, uh, uh, interestingly enough, a, a man who lived in Georgetown at the same time Yarrow did, and his name was Joseph Moore, and it's spelled M-O-O-R. Well, in Othello, everybody <laughs> read Othello, and I think Joseph Moore was a Muslim. He was a black Muslim, and so that would be another Muslim living in America. Yeah, so they were not totally uh, unf- unfamiliar. Uh, did he keep? Did he manage to keep his faith? Do we know? He did. Charles Wilson Peale in his uh, diary said that he was known for his faith, and he said, "Religion is no good unless it comes from the heart." Yeah. And uh, I think Charles Wilson Peale found him to be a very religious man. Now, there was a sort of a humorous part of early America was that a, the test for a Muslim was that they wouldn't drink alcohol, and so if you wanted to know whether a black person was a Muslim, you'd offer a glass of wine. Well, Yarrow would not drink alcohol, and uh, Charles Wilson Peale put an obituary in a white newspaper when Yarrow died, and they said he would not eat a swine nor drink of alcohol. And uh, so how did he become free? There's two stories for how he became. The the written story— obvi- it, Obviously, this is many, many years before the Emancipation Proclamation. That's correct. Yeah. He arrived in 1752, and he gained his freedom in 1796— uh, the way, the story of how he was freed was that his owner said, look, Yarrow, you've worked enough for me. Now it's time for you to work for yourself. And so before he, he could do that, his owner died. But the widow arranged the freedom for Yarrow. Um, my view is that Yarrow was probably, as a practical matter, free well before that. Uh, you know, the, slavery is a legal concept at the time. You know, once you got this piece of paper that said you were free, you're free. But as a practical matter, I think he was earning money for himself, living independently, and acting as a free man, although he knew he was technically a slave. And subject to be recalled or yes. sold again. And, yeah. and, and, and all the restrictions yeah. that applied to slaves. Okay. So um, one last part of his biography before we get to the detective story. Okay. He then goes on to not just own bank stock, but he becomes a financier Yes, in Georgetown. That's the mark of a pretty smart man. It really is. You, know, you just have to imagine this guy. I mean, I talk in the book about the conditions on a slave ship. It's hard to imagine what it would be like to be on a slave ship. This smelled so bad that ships wouldn't even come within a mile of them in the open ocean. So this man survives a slave ship, survives all of this, gets his freedom, and what does he do? He becomes an entrepreneur. He worked his tail off and saved up his money. He knew to save his money. And then he bought bank stock. He bought a house. Uh, he was a fairly well-to-do man in Georgetown. And I, I do want to say that the important thing about Georgetown was even though the capital was in Washington, D.C., all the wealthy people lived in Georgetown because there weren't that many good houses in Washington, D.C., so that if you were famous in Georgetown, you were famous in Washington, D.C., among the uh, movers and shakers. But because he's black, pretty much then when he passes away, American history forgets him. Yes, that's correct. So tell us a little bit about the detective story. How did you recreate this man? Well, it's almost impossible to do anything with African-Americans before the Civil War because there are no records. I was lucky in his case because I had Charles Wilson Peale's diary. It's only a few pages, but he gave me some clues. For example, he said he came on a ship captained by a man named Dow, D-O-W. 
there is a thing called a transatlantic slave trade database. It's online. It's a very important resource. So I looked for every ship that was captained by a man named Dow, and it just didn't work. I did find one captained by a man named Low or Lau, L-O-W-E, and that turned out to be Yarrow's ship. It also happened that the slave trader was named Lowndes, L-O-W-N-D-E-S. Charles Wilson Peel was hard of hearing. <laughs> so Yarrow, whatever word Yarrow said, Charles Wilson Peel wrote it down as Dow, and so I gave allowances to both of those. I think most likely Yarrow was saying he came on a ship by Captain Lowndes because the Lowndes owned a place in Georgetown called Tudor Place. It's now the most elegant home in Georgetown. And so I think Yarrow was saying, like I'd say, well, I talked to the Kennedys. You're not going to say what Ken, who were yeah. the Kennedys. And so I think Yarrow thought that that was uh, a reference to. Um, I did find Yarrow in the census, which helped. Uh, I had the name of his son because he bought his son's freedom. Uh, after Yarrow got free, he bought the freedom for his seven-year-old son. And was that in a court document in Georgetown? or it, it's, it's in court documents. It, it, this was in Maryland, but it was in court documents because manumissions were important to black people at the time because you needed to prove you were free. You couldn't just say, hey, I'm free because a sheriff or someone might arrest you. So you had to have a record in court. So, But it cost money to do that. So only wealthy black people would file their manumissions. But Yarrow did for his son, and it, it gave me the name of the owner of his son. I then looked up her estate, and I found that his son, much later, had gone and purchased some old pots at the estate sale for his old owner. And I, I say, in the, this is the kind of detective work you do. So why would a 19-year-old man go to a, the estate sale for his owner who you know freed him 12 years earlier and buy a couple of old pots for a dollar? And I speculated that his mother had been a slave for this woman. She wanted to go to the estate sale. And so he went with his mother and she bought a loom I think the mother was, in fact, Yarrow's wife. And so you make assumptions about yeah, this. Yeah. And there were aha moments as well. Oh, one time I was sitting, and this was pretty early on in the research, I was sitting in the Montgomery County History Society's library because I was looking for the Samuel Bell, his owner's records, and they had a big folder on the Bell family. And I was looking through the records. Two men came in, and I heard the librarian says, well, he has your file, the one you're looking for. And this was Jim and Robert Bell, and they were descendants of Samuel Bell, Yarrow's owner. They just happened to come in at the same time I was looking for the same record. And so I stayed in contact. They didn't give much about Yarrow, but it, you know, I could actually see them. The other thing was I was up in a place called Yarrowsburg, and this goes beyond Yarrow. His daughter-in-law, son and daughter-in-law, moved up to... Uh, Washington County, Maryland, which is near Harper's Ferry. Mm -hmm. And I was up there because I knew that there were records of her up there. And I was up there and I was at a church service in an African-American church. And they said, Mr. Johnston's here to look for any stories about Polly Yarrow. This was his daughter-in-law. And a woman came up to me and she says, I don't know anything about Polly Yarrow, but we're descendants of Nat Turner. Are you interested? <laughs> well, it turned out they were not descendants of Nat Turner. They were descendants of Yarrow's daughter-in-law, and I put all that connection together, but it took 
that took a year to put that together. And did they tell you about the town named Yarrowburg, or did you see it on a map? Or uh, Nobody knew it. I knew it only uh. because uh, I was talking to a man there, a white man, and he's, I said, well, how did this thing get the name Yarrowburg? And he said, well, it was named after a woman named Polly Yarrow. And I'm a lawyer, and so I don't like to lead my witnesses or my interviewees, and I just waited him out, and he got uncomfortable. And he said, you know, she's black, you know. And that was what I wanted him to say. He said she was the midwife here. She delivered wow. all the babies black and white. Now, this is Yarmamut's daughter-in-law. So, you know, that was a, a big part of the story. The book goes on to follow that family, and they went to Harvard in 1923. Yeah. Well, here's the question. Yeah. So, you're, so you're, you're poking away doing all this research, and you're putting together the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle on Yarrow, and that necessarily brings you into his descendants. Then what makes you decide as a biographer, to expand it past a historic paper into a book about the entire family? That's a good question. And I, some publishers asked me that question. Uh, and my thought was this. I actually did most of the research before I even thought about writing a book. So I had the story about Harvard. The reason I did this, as I say at the beginning of the book, I want to tell a story on race. And there are a couple of key points on that. First of all is the white family that owned it, the Bell family, they came to America as slaves. Now, they were free after a certain period of time, so it wasn't like black slavery, but they did not come to America voluntarily. So I thought, well, I have a good parallel. People always think that only black people were slaves, and that's not true. And I also was interested in the moral concept. If you've been a slave, <laughs> why would you enslave other people? And that intrigued me. So I wanted to have that part of the story in, and then I wanted to show a story of black achievement as how this family, even though they came on slave ships within a reasonable period of time, did so well that they got into Harvard in 1923. So, you know, the time was 175 years, but you can really get a feel for this passage of time through human yeah. beings. So, you know, it was an exceptional family. And they, yeah. uh, of the, there were five women and they had eight degrees. They had, all had undergraduate degrees and three of them had uh, graduate degrees. So yeah. very high education. Uh, a lot of people have said, <laughs> you know, why did you do this? Uh, I once gave a talk to a black audience and one of the men said to me, is he a relative of yours? <laughs> I, I, I'm Caucasian, completely yeah. Caucasian. Uh, so, um, I just got curious, yeah. and I also got mad as I went through it because I really didn't know that much about the experience of African Americans in America. And I got mad because I could see in this family people just like me who were discriminated against, and that made me mad. So I just kept saying, I'm going to get this done. Yeah. I'm going to tell this story. That was James Johnston talking with bio member John Farrell in December 2019 about his biography, from slave ship to Harvard, Yarrow Mahmoud and the History of an African-American Family, published by Fordham University Press in March 2015. To learn more about Bio or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm Bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C., Enzo De Palmer created our theme music, and until next time, thanks for listening, and have a great day. <laughs>